Carefree Black Nerd is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, BYNKRadio.com, and a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of other places. Please hit me up. iTunes, leave that five-star rating. Leave a review on SoundCloud. Hit those hearts. Hit those likes. And keep the conversation going in the comments. Share everywhere. And hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Use the hashtag CBNPod. Let me know how you listen to the show. Let me know when you listen to the show. And if you'd like to email me, talk to me more privately, hit me up at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. As always, carefreeblacknerd.com is the hub for everything Carefree Black Nerd. And until next time, please enjoy this issue and stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I'm your host, Rain Coleman, and in this issue, we're covering Bedlam. (laughs) Now, um, with Deadpool 2 right around the corner, I figured I'd dive into one of the characters of color in this diverse-ass film, man. So, uh, today's issue covers Bedlam, who uh, will be played by Terry Crews. Among other amazing castmates, come on, like Deadpool 2 is just killing it with the diversity and inclusion game. Uh, some of which are Woman Crush Monday, <laughs> Monday, Roman Crush Wednesday, Zazy Beats of FX's Atlanta fame. Uh, she will be playing Domino and also the amazing Louis Tan's Man Crush Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Man Crush Monday ass uh, of Into the Badlands and Coachella Fest fame. He will be playing Shatterstar. But enough about them. On to Bedlam. Now, Bedlam's name is uh, Jesse Aronson. He is a fictional character, a mutant superhero. He is a Marvel Comics character who first appeared in Factor X, number one. This was back in March of 1995. So he just made, what is that, about 23 years old in publication history so uh happy birthday man <laughs> now jesse bedlam is one of the few characters to first appear outside the 616 continuity and for those of you who don't um know <laughs> this shit 616 continuity is the main earth in marvel comics so you have your main earth where everything happens essentially it's a mirror image of our earth that we live on now then you have your multiple earth so you'll have earth 616 main earth and earth 123 which is the earth where everyone has white hair or earth 2469 which is the future earth where professor charles xavier was never born just a bunch of different variations and having these different earths really um allows writers to kind of dive into stories that won't change the continuity of the main earth but can kind of play around and possibly bring in other other elements of these new earths like um the ultimates universe which i do not remember the earth distinction but it was the earth where it was kind of like what if all of the marvel heroes were only like around for five years or were brand new or something to that effect you know so there's that so he's the first one to appear to appear outside of 616 continuity he first appeared in factor x uh, issue number one that was in 1995 where he was part of the age of apocalypse crossover now for those of you <laughs> who know like i know you now back then age of apocalypse was a 
event that lasted, I think, four or five months, four or five issues over every single X title. And it was when Apocalypse took over and everything got switched around. Generation X became um, Generation Next. And Magneto and Rogue had a baby and they were running the X-Men. And then Cyclops and Havoc were like guard dogs of Sinister. It was just a bunch of shit going on. But it was one of the most successful events that kind of in Marvel history where you took four or five months, I don't remember exactly, and just changed the entire entire universe. Then at the end, kind of brought it back, you know, to the status quo, which was, oh, if they could just do events like that now, Lord, we would be uh, in such a better place. But yeah, so Factor X, which was X Factor's Age of Apocalypse uh, new title, uh, his first appearance in the main Marvel 616 was in X-Force 82, and that was back in 1998. So, like, kudos to this black man getting it on. Uh, <laughs> he's a tall black man, muscular, looks like every other generic superhero back in the 90s, just happens to be black. But I really, really, really like this character, and he gives me, well, you'll see. So, uh, Bedlam is a human mutant. His team affiliations are X-Force. Muse, which is M.U.S.E, which, you know, back in the 90s. And even now, I guess we love our acronyms, hell. Um, and the new Hellions. Now, Bedlam's relatives include his mother, Nina Aronson, father, Kyle Aronson, and older brother, Christopher, uh, who's also known as King Bedlam, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, as far as his skills and abilities, he possesses a black belt in karate, and advanced computational skills for hacking. His powers, electronic disruption, intellect, psionic radar sense, stealth tracking, and skilled in unarmed combat. Now, taking a aside here, this character, Betlam, now, I cannot tell you where I first met or discovered this character, but his, I know I was reading X-Force, Back, well, shit, I read everything back when I was a kid, but I remember seeing this character, but I cannot tell you exactly where I saw him. And especially with the art style, he fits in my memory. How am I saying this? He fits very much in line with what I remember from the 90s reading books, but I cannot pinpoint where exactly I first discovered Bedlam. But... Again, he'll be being he'll be played by Terry Crews, which is like ah, so dope. And I'm always one to be excited to see other celebrities in these uh, superhero movies because now this is all the rage. Superhero movies are they encompass everything. They're political dramas, they're spy movies, they're rom coms, they're you know buddy comedies, and so I really I'm excited to see what comes of Deadpool two and what comes specifically of. Terry Crews, Zazie Beetz, Louis Tan, and the rest of that multicultural-ass cast over there because, goddamn, they are killing it. So, <laughs> tangent over. Um, as a mutant, he originally possessed the mutant ability to create and project a bioelectromagnetic field. Now, this has uh, the temporary effect of disabling any similarly-powered technology in his vicinity. So, anything pretty much catch all anything dealing with technology you can just shut this shit down cell phones street lights uh satellites whatever whatever it was in his vicinity it didn't it didn't specify well through my research like if it was like 
uh, five feet radius, twelve feet radius. Like it didn't specify that, but I'm sure that just varied depending on the writer and what they needed for the story. But I would assume if he's about six feet, I would say it's about maybe seven or eight feet vicinity. Um, oh, also he can utilize his power to scan the environment for other pre-existing energy fields. Now, this I started reading Harbinger Wars two. And there is a black woman who has a similar power set. I'm still learning. So listeners, if you're hearing this and something is said incorrectly, please let me know. Tweet me, Carefree Blurred. Use the hashtag CBNPod. Now, I'm still kind of diving into the Valiant universe, and I'm not 100% familiar with the rules over there or even all of the titles. But I really enjoyed that first issue of Harbinger Wars 2. And I bring this up because doing my research for Bedlam, he... And the main character, and forgive me, I forget her name, but there will be an issue on her later on down the road when I do more research, so we'll just link the two episodes together. But she was able to, like, read anything dealing with technology. Emails, cell phones, uh, SoundCloud playlists, podcasts, whatever. She could read, sense, alter, and do all that shit. And that's where it feels like he, like his powers rest in that same field. And it's just like, ah, a lot of times when comic book companies crossover or do like a little you know event or whatnot like you had the amalgam universe where it was dc and marvel the mutants and justice league uh, generally like merging together that would be so dope to see these two black ass characters with this similar power set valiant and marvel merge together but (laughs) again i digress so um now after this now that was his original powers was the em field and all that good shit in the scan of the environment and discovering other pre-existing energy uh, fields and whatnot. Now, after the high evolutionary reset the mutant genome in every mutant on the planet, Jesse's abilities expanded. So now he was able to affect the human brain's neurochemistry. Now, <laughs> that's a mouthful. So essentially it changed from being able to kind of just affect technology and see energy fields to affect the human brain. Um, And it specified human. I don't know if that was because someone wrote in somewhere where he couldn't, like, affect animals or if it was just, I don't know, a sign of just describing his powers. But, again, after his powers were reset, he was able to affect the human's brain's neurochemistry, thus allowing him to project the illusions of pain and confusion into other people. He essentially scrambled the human's brain uh, neurochemistry. So um, another character that comes to mind when I think of that is uh, Mesma. <laughs> Don't laugh, y'all. The Spider-Man villain who can um, just project images into your brain or make you feel like holograms and shit. You've seen shit that ain't really there. But this was, a uh, instead of it being Justine's fake Illusions. This is, he's putting illusions into your brain. This ain't no, you think you see a pink elephant, but it's actually not there. This is putting the sensation of a pink elephant chasing your ass down into your head. So that man has got, this black man, God is so dope. And uh, I also, when I was going over the research for this, got a lot of Luke Cage vibes, like Luke Cage from the Netflix series. Like, ah, just think of if we had have got a bet lump, not to, discredit Luke Cage or say it's not good but just think of if we have got a a Betlam Netflix series in the same vein of Luke Cage where though he isn't impenetrable to bullets and whatnot to be able to control the minds of all these other people like oh my god 
God, that would have been such an interesting character study. I think it would have probably come off more like a combination of a Jessica Jones and a Luke Cage because it is such a cerebral um, power set. But yeah, so <laughs> so now we're going to get into his backstory. And Lord, it is a doozy. So uh, Jesse was born to Nina and Kyle Aronson. They were both information analysts at the National Department of Security, the NDS. Keep that in mind, folks. Remember, National Department of Security, NDS. Keep that in mind over this this issue. Now, he was the second born after his brother, Chris. He, Jesse, uh, became orphaned at the age of five after their father went insane while driving, causing him to lose control of the family car. So in this horrible ass accident, Jesse lost both his parents and became orphaned, like, which is so sad. Um, now, this, when you look at superheroes, a lot of times you get these tragic backstories, and Batman's is like, Batman and Spider-Man are like the most iconic or the most like socially known backstories there are. I even add Superman in there. But this, God, I like this. I don't like it, but I like this because it's not, a stereotypical, oh, this black man didn't have a father, oh, he was in his drug neighborhood, and he was poor, and this and that. This is just like a chance event that happened that kind of set him on his way, you know, and it isn't, this event isn't the thing that's like, this is what made me become the man I am. It's just something tragic that happened that set off another series of events that just happened to Jesse over the course of his life. So I really like that. I like that it isn't stereotypical like uh, I believe Riri Williams her father was killed in a drive-by so ugh. and Riri is a newer character like a Bendis character from like the last five or six years but whatever this isn't about <laughs> so um, now after all of that now just a quick aside Christopher <clears throat> Jesse's older brother um, aka King Bedlam he is the brother of Jesse Aronson and he is also a mutant now, uh, Christopher has, uh, or rather transmits a psionic scrambler field that can disorient others and protect him from telepathy, which is like a very useful power in the Marvel universe when you got so many freaking telepaths and psychics and shit running around. So, and this is also another black male character. These are black men who have had this tragic backstory, but they're, you know, able to maneuver. It's just, man, but... <laughs> yeah, I know how I am about representation, so uh, let me <laughs> calm down. Now, uh, getting back to Jesse. Now, after the accident, he and his brother Christopher were put into uh, separate foster homes, which is... Whew, okay, so y'all know when I read this, looking up all this shit, and I kept finding this same freaking story that they were split up, I was pissed. Okay, so the justice system and the foster care system, anything dealing with the government and the general population is never as kind to black folks and people of color as it is to whites. That being said, why in the fuck would you separate two brothers? I mean, I understand that kind of shit happens and I understand this from the point of view of seeing it on TV seeing it in movies, not being a product of the foster care system. There's only so much I can speak to. But what I will say is you have two brothers from the same family who both had the same parents who died at the same time. Why would you separate these two little brown boys? I don't understand that. Like, I mean, later on, things kind of get discovered throughout, you know, their history. But just looking at it at face value, 
it's not like it was 17 kids. And what I've seen through watching movies and TV is always, oh, well, you know, it's X amount of kids, but this family wants to adopt or foster a family, but they don't want to take on 12 kids. And eh, I'm not even going to get into that. But in this instance, it was two brothers. How do you... Oh, my God. It needs to... Well, whatever. So, uh... They separated those two brown boys, put them into two different foster homes, which uh, makes no sense. God. Now, Jesse went through multiple foster homes due to his emotional instability from that freaking car accident. And uh, he was forced to go through many therapists before being placed in a psychiatric hospital. And this was about the age of 13. So from five to 13, this man has seen this boy has seen his parents die. He has been split up from his only other family member. He has been placed in different foster homes. He's going through something. He's going through a lot of shit, more than likely. And then just being a little brown boy in America alone. All the traumatic shit aside, or all of the the uh, comic traumatic shit aside, just being a brown boy in America. Then being a brown boy in America who's lost both your parents. You've been separated from your family. You've been placed into foster homes. And... Of course, this character was created by two white men, and it was never specified if the foster homes he was in was uh, black families, were they white families, were they mixed race families. It never specified that, and I guess it wasn't important to the story back then, but that's why I say copyright carefree black nerd Marvel hired me to write this story. I will do the adequate research, reaching out to someone who has been into the foster care system, reaching out to social workers, getting more information because uh, the heroes as great and, and as amazing as superheroes are, comics are a medium where it's really, a, it started off with a lot of propaganda. It, it uh, evolved into what it is today. But some of the best stories are when you're getting these quiet moments and these histories with these characters knowing more about them yes the action and the punching shit is fine and even the solving mysteries and shit but oh this is a black man with such a rich history that should be explored but oh okay <laughs> so um now at the age of 13 he was exploited during this time by one of the doctors at the psychiatric hospital uh he wanted to use jesse's powers for a book and um he performed experiments on him so essentially again all the shit i just said all the stress he's been through you didn't your parents being killed you was in the car accident you separated from your brother you're thrown into the foster care system you're moved around from house to house you feel like you have no family you're a brown brown boy in america who's to say what race these families are that you're with then you get placed in a psychiatric hospital Things may have felt like, okay, this ain't ideal, but shit, I'm somewhere where I can get help. I can talk about the shit that's going on with me, and I won't be thrown around from house to house. And then you come up on a doctor, undoubtedly a white doctor, who is taking your powers and exploiting them to sell a fucking book, experimenting on you, like Tuskegee experiments, anyone? Like, okay, so, (laughs) so all of that happens. The doctor tries to convince Jesse that his brother, uh, Chris, was a figment of his imagination. What the fuck do you gain by doing this? Tormenting this little black boy. Oh, my God. There was just a story in the news about these two black men who were dismembered and murdered. And as dark as that is, it is a reality that we're dealing with today. So though these are comics and these are intellectual properties, these are properties that are translated storylines and such to the big screen or to the TV screen and that are jobs for other people. 
I say all this to say that with the state of America and the world today, especially as it relates to black people and people of color, why not take characters like this? He has a very rich history. Everything that I'm reading is the rich history from these white creators. Why not hand this character over to a person with that lived in experience or something similar and give us something? And for those of you out there like, oh, comics should make you feel good. It should be fun. And this and the third. There are so many different kinds of comics out there and even if you don't want to focus on the hardship and the stress and the drama there's no denying this is this character's history this is factual in the world of the marvel universe this is what was written out this is what's been around since the early 90s so this is already existing just hand this character over to some people of color to a man of color a woman of color a black woman i would love to see a black woman write this i mean i would love to see me write this but um Give it to a black woman and let her write this story. Like, oh, take this backstory and move some shit around. Update it. Make this character. Because now that you have Domino, she has a series, uh, be, no doubt because of the Deadpool movie. And in the series, it's really good. Um, I recommend anyone pick it up. It is really good. I don't have it in front of me. I forget the creative team. Forgive me. But it's the current 2018 Domino run. And they're only on issue two. Dope as shit. I say all that to say that as great as it is, this character still isn't reflected as the gender bent, gender bent, the race bent Zazie Beats that will appear in Deadpool 2. You don't have to race bend this character Bentlam at all. Just create a book with him. Like, God. Okay, so. <laughs> now, after uh, the book and all the experiments and shit, the doctor tried to convince Jesse that his brother was a figment of his imagination. Bro, just added stress of being black in America, even in the comic books. Uh, Jesse was eventually rescued by Lucas Wyndham and ended up in the hands of Professor Charles Xavier's mutant underground support engine. Now, this, <clears throat> um, ironically enough, was kind of like uh, Child Protective Services, but for mutants. This was a group uh, based out of Montana with the goal of rescuing mutants and training them as field agents. And that's where he got the code name Bedlam or took on that code name. Now, Muse. Mutant Underground Support Engine, Muse, M.U.S.E. This is a covert organization dedicated to removing mutants from dangerous situations and placing them in safe houses. Now, I do like the concept of having things happen in the Marvel Universe that are not in New York because everything fucking happens in New York. But what I don't like is the idea that Charles Xavier's dumbass is constantly creating these mutant military groups and then raising hell when it comes to Magneto and his vision. Like, you can't have it both ways. If every fucking school that you create or that you're attached to becomes some mutant haven of, now let's make these some mutant fucking mercenaries and, and weaponized mass destruction, whatever, it's just like, you're doing the exact same thing. Every fucking school you touch, you end up damn near corrupting these kids, using your immense omega level telepathic psychic powers to change shit it's like he keeps doing i just as a kid professor x was just the dopest thing in the world the greatest mentor watching the 92 x-men series animated series but it's just like charles is not that great oh my god like these kids do not have a childhood because of you nigga um so anyway so we're gonna move on in bedlam's history on to domino and x-force so this is new friends and new beginnings now, when Jesse reached the age of 19, he decided to leave Muse 
in order to track down his brother once and for all. Because shit, he's been separated from his brother for fucking ever. Um, it doesn't specify how much older Chris is than Jesse. I'll say about three years or so. So while Jesse was five, Chris may have been eight. I, I would imagine because I didn't find anything. But listeners, if you know, please tweet me and let me know the age of uh, Chris and or the difference in ages between the two. Now, uh, Jesse enlisted the help of the mutant spy and former X-Force member, Domino. And Domino, hey, Domino, hey. Domino is a skilled mutant mercenary who possesses the ability to manipulate probability in her favor, giving the effect of incredible luck. She will be played by Zazie Beats. Um, a quick aside when it comes to Domino, that is a very interesting power and I like it. Uh, it translates really well to TV and movie screens because there's not a whole lot you have to do past what you would do for an action movie. But the thing I was always interested about when it comes to her is how in the hell did you even discover this power? <laughs> like I know about her tragic backstory, but if I was just a regular person, became a mutant when I hit 13 and hit puberty, how would I know that I'm a mutant? Like if the girl I liked in school, she didn't like me at all. But then when I hit puberty and my mutant powers kicked in, now she's trying to kiss me. Well, the bully that used to beat me up when I hit 13, now, uh, he can't seem to put his hands on me. Uh, you know, I never get splashed in the rain anymore. I never get caught outside without an umbrella. I get, uh, you know, good lunch. Like, what is it? It just seems like it's just things that good luck. Like, you develop a, a sort of privilege because it's like now shit has changed and it's all for the better. So I just always thought that was an interesting power set. But, like, how would you discover that? So, but we'll look into that more because, again, there'll probably be a domino uh, issue of Carefree Black Nerd coming soon. So, Zazie Beats, go see Deadpool 2. Now, he offered, he, Jesse, offered Domino information regarding the whereabouts of the Prime Sentinel unit named, and I'm going to butcher this name, but bear with me, Ekaterina Grizinova. Yeah, we'll go with that. Now, in exchange for Domino's help. Now, this Ekaterina Grizinova <laughs> is an operative of Bastion implanted with the prime sentinel tech who later went on to work with the Aguilar Institute. Now Grizinova, now she's calling herself Griffin. So we'll just go with Griffin going forward. Griffin had implanted a neuro disruption device into Domino's body several months ago that shortened out her mutant powers during Operation Zero Tolerance, which severely diminished, diminished excuse me, Domino's mutant powers. Now, upon entering the base, Domino was captured, but Bentlam managed to escape. Using his resources from Muse, he managed to track down X-Force in San Francisco and break into their headquarters in order to ask them for help. Now, the team managed to free Domino and apparently kill Griffin in the process, but Bentlam used his powers to short-circuit Domino's implant, which begs the question, why the fuck didn't he do that in the first place, goddammit? <laughs> so what I have to, I come up with two different things. One... I think maybe he was making sure Domino would help him. So if you dangle this person in front of her who she clearly wants to kill, then that would motivate her to help. Or I assume that he maybe wanted her to get revenge on her own terms. So instead of just like destroying the device initially, because his powers have not changed at this point, he still has the same power set. Instead of like just taking care of him and saying, oh, help my brother, then there's no motivation for her to help you save your brother like you don't know 
I, I don't know their relationship at this point in time. Like if he really trusted her or if it was just let me let her get revenge on her own terms. That will help motivate her to help me. So, yeah, it's a little iffy there. But um, now, uh, just to take a step back, Operation Zero Tolerance, that follows the Onslaught storyline, that storyline, one of the other ones that took over the entirety of the Marvel Universe, but we're not going to get into that. Now, Operation Zero Tolerance is due to growing mistrust between humankind and mutant kind, Bastion and his Sentinels were given the U.S. government's approval to carry out a campaign of eradication of the mutants. So essentially, he just went on this fucking killer spree trying to destroy all mutants. And I remember reading Generation X back in that time and X-Men, but Generation X was my jam. And Bastion, he had captured Jubilee at one point in time. It was just, it was this whole thing. And this nigga, he still ain't gone. Like, he popped up in X-Men. Blue, X-Men Blue, back when the time-displaced X-Men were trying to get their way back home. And that that uh, like kind of two-issue arc or two-issue appearance was really good. I enjoyed that, especially for me because I hadn't seen him since back in the 90s when I was reading Generation X, you know, consistently every month. So, yeah, there's that. Bastion, that motherfucker. I don't know. I'm sure he'll come up in some more storylines, but um, that's enough about him. Uh, the next part of Bedlam's history is kind of a you can't choose your family <laughs> sort of, I don't know, part of his history. So now keeping up her end of the bargain, Domino managed to find information regarding Jesse's family. His parents were actually information analysts at the National Security Department, NSD. Remember that? Or Department of Security or however. <laughs> now they paid a visit to his parents' former superior. Now, they being Domino and Jesse to the former superior, Dabney Saunders. Now, he was in a retirement home and he was like babbling incoherently, saying stuff that didn't make sense. So clearly he wasn't in a good way. Now, Domino, during this visit, discovered that the orderly who was in charge of Saunders uh, was informing an unidentified man about their visit. So she like, all right, you know, we meeting up with him and we find out that however she found out without her luck powers that, you know, you somebody spying on us somebody is monitoring him so it's one thing if he was just an old senile man with the condition but now to discover that this um lead that we have that almost could have just ended with damn he's just you know a fucked up old man now we find out more because shit somebody watching us somebody watching him because they don't know us we showed they're watching him so there's more to it now after they discovered that both Bedlam and Domino broke into the mysterious man's house <laughs> using Jesse's powers, and they were subsequently attacked by magma and uh, per diem. Now, the thing here is, I need to get my hands on these issues because they just, <laughs> Domino figured out that the homeboy was being paid off or being they were being watched or whatnot. Then they find out where the man stayed, break into his shit, and then get your ass whooped, kind of, sort of. Now, uh, Magma and Perdium. Perdium is a Chinese boy with telepathic powers, and Magma, she can transform into molten rock and has control over the earth. Now, Bedlam used his powers to disrupt Part... Partium? Patium? Whatever. <laughs> Y'all heard me just say his name. His electronics, uh, knocking out Magma in the process. However, they were subdued by none other than... Dun-dun-dun. Jesse's brother, Christopher. Christopher, now calling himself King Bedlam, 
he has the power to disrupt higher functions of the brain. He was the mysterious unidentified man. Yeah. So now Chris was tagged as a mutant at the age of six. Okay. So now hmm, I wonder because I came across this part of the research and I'm still unsure because they were separated when um, Jesse was five. Does that mean that Chris was six? And then I don't know. See, I still don't, but whatever. So again, tweet me, let me know. So, Getting back to the history, Chris was tagged as a mutant at the age of six by the NSD and was taken into a research center after their parents' death. At age 13, he fled, destroying Saunders' mind in the process. So that's why he was watching over Saunders, either guilt or anger, like, yeah, nigga, you didn't fucked up, and now your brain fried because of me. Um, he now founded the new team of Hellions and uh, offered an invitation of membership to Jesse. And, of course, Jesse accepted because you've been, again, look at Jesse's point of view. Though I'm working with Domino and I've worked with all these good people and helped save mutants and whatever else, I've had a stressful life, traumatic life, where he's probably still stuck being that five-year-old boy to some extent where you lost your family, all of them, and you were either convinced or tried or someone tried to convince you that your only sole living family member was a figment of your imagination. Like, god damn. So, for those of you who might be thinking, well, shit. Uh, Jesse, you know, must be, a, he's a bad guy. How do, not Jesse, excuse me. Chris is a bad guy. How is Jesse going to be, you know, cool with him or whatever? The fact is that's family. That's the only family that you ever had. Like even the family you had amongst Charles Xavier's group was just like a military force. That wasn't a family. So, uh, Chris opened his, uh, opened up the invitation to join the Hellions, which was this new uh, group or whatnot. Now, the group's true intentions, after Jesse had accepted, were to reanimate the Armageddon Man in order to blackmail the U.S. government into paying $1 billion. That doesn't seem like a good... That doesn't seem like a good, like, story at all. But, I mean, I'll go with it, but it's like, uh, we have all these special abilities and we can do all this fantastic shit but we just want one billion dollars it's like you did better i don't know copyright care for you black nerd trying to like infiltrate the government and get a seat at the table like be the president it seems like there's so many other things you could have done one billion dollars okay i mean i'll i'll go with it but it's that seems dumb now x-force managed to subdue the armageddon man but the new Hellions managed to escape. Jesse soon after discovered that the car accident that killed his parents was caused by none other than Christopher. Wow. So, the car accident that killed his parents was caused by his brother Chris. Now, Christopher was using his mutant powers to drive their father insane while driving, causing him to lose control of the family car, killing the parents. Now, what I haven't discovered through my research uh, of Bedlam and family is if it was intentional. And let's say, I'm just going to say Chris and Jesse are two years apart. So while Jesse was five, Chris was seven. Now, you're in the backseat of a car. You're driving with your parents. I don't know, going to the movies or something. Now, your father goes crazy, loses control, and kills y'all. I don't know that this would be malicious. Like, yeah, he ended up being a villain, but I'd really like to take a look at Chris's side of the story. Because, again, think of it. I'm a seven, and this is all speculation. I'm a seven-year-old kid 
in the car. My powers manifest. I end up fucking making my dad go crazy. Everybody's dead. I'm pulled from the car. I'm separated from my family. Uh, I'm tagged as a mutant. So I'm in this NSD facility and being experimented on. And when I finally escape, like, you're going to develop a tough skin. It's survival mode kicks in. We're human. That's just what happens. So I don't know. And if it is out there, someone knows, please let me know. Carefree Blurred, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com, Carefree Blurred on Twitter. Uh, let me know because I didn't find it if Chris was intentionally infecting his father and trying to drive him crazy or if it was just a side effect of my powers have now manifested. Like, I, cause I don't, I see the jump, the transition from him being happy go lucky kid to villain. It seems like it's directly tied to these motherfuckers fucking with you, experimenting on you, losing your family. Like, who's to say what drama he went through when he was separated from Jesse? Like, I don't know. I just, I am not quick to be angry or disgusted with King Bedlam, considering his childhood. And it's it's a lot like, um, I guess, Killmonger and Black Panther, like the way in which he feels justified. And you can see things from his point of view because of the childhood and the life that he had to live based on the sins that happened when he was a child. So, I don't know. Like, of course, he is, he being uh, Chris, he is a villain now. But, like, seeing how he got there, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm mad. I'm mad. <laughs> okay, so, <clears throat> now, after Jesse found out about Christopher killing his parents, he was invited back to join the X-Force. <sighs> Again, through the research, I haven't found if he was, like, angry about it if he was sad about it i mean i'll assume that he was sad but as far as being angry i can't find if there was a conversation between the two like this is what happened you know like of course it had to have come out some way i personally just haven't had gotten my hand on those issues so again listeners if you know please tweet me carefree blurred hashtag cbm pod and uh educate me let's keep this conversation going now moving on to counter X, this is after Jesse joined the group, joined X Force again. Now Jesse stayed with the team. He went on a lot more missions, including going after the new Chaos Bear, fighting Celine, um, the Aguilar Institute, and even Magneto. Now, for those of you who don't know, Celine is the oldest living mutant, born seventeen thousand years ago. She is the notable villain of the X Men, often opposing them in her position as the black queen of the hellfire club which is i i kind of like the hellfire club i like that though i think they're a bit racist i think <laughs> but i like that concept of the hellfire club but so her ultimate goal is to become the goddess through the life absorption of other mutants so she pretty much just like is a badass old old heifer <laughs> and for those of you who don't know or if you do magneto he is among the most powerful recognizable and infamous mutants to inhabit the earth. Uh, Magneto was the X-Men's first major nemesis, now known as a revolutionary and a terrorist. Magneto has fought for the X-Men as many times he has been against them. He's also like the good good Judy of Professor X. <laughs> now, when the team X-Force went on a mission to Genosha, a woman by the name of Delphi gave Jesse a memory box this contained the knowledge of a master martial artist, and Jesse then became a full-trained black belt. Um, a lot of times in comics, they do think, they being the writers and creators, do things like this to kind of 
just give you talent and skills without having to put in a whole lot of work. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's something that could be used. Just don't overuse it. Um, one instance where it really works is like the Matrix trilogy. The first Matrix, when Neo is learning all of these different powers, powers, um, fighting styles, like being downloaded into his brain. It's kind of, you know, in that sense. And another character that I think of is Rogue. Though her power is to absorb the life force, talent, memories, and everything of a person from skin-to-skin contact, it's still one of those powers where, okay, I need to perform heart surgery on one of our fallen members really quickly. Well, Rogue, why don't you touch this heart surgeon's skin, absorb his abilities, or even um, with psychics. I know after the Bastion Operation Zero Tolerance issue, when he implanted Scott Summers' Cyclops a bomb in his abdomen, they rushed home, they being the X-Men that was left, to the X-Mansion, and Dr. Cecilia Reyes is a doctor, and she was there, and she was um, able to save them in the nick of time, but in order to catch her up to speed and kind of sort of not rehash the last six, seven, eight, nine, ten issues, the writer was able to make Jean Grey download, essentially, all the events that happened into Cecilia Reyes's head to catch her up to speed. So that the, so it's, it's the thing. It could work for and against you in comics. I think that um, more times than not, it's, it's just one of those MacGuffins where it's like, okay, well, whatever. Now he can do this. So, But I, I still like that idea that this black man is just badass on his own, got this traumatic childhood, and still is just attained, leveling up. Like, this Delphi shit, you just didn't level up with this memory box. Uh, so now he's fully trained, black belt, he has these electromagnetic powers, and he can fuck up the human brain. This motherfucker is a badass. Now, the team X-Force also learned of Bedlam's unique condition. So, if nothing else <laughs> now we have more drama now bedlam was forced to take medication in order to keep his own power from scrambling his brain um after the high evolutionary re- re- <laughs> after the high evolutionary removed every mutant's power and then restored it the team took on a new direction i don't want to skip over this last part so Again, what I like about this character and so many others at times, especially uh, one that comes to mind is Monet St. Croix and her dealings with X X Factor investigations and then moving on to X-Men, the Magneto-led team from a couple years ago. The thing is you get these characters, these real-world issues. When you take a superpower or whatever and you translate it to the real world, being case in point, you can disrupt the neurological chemistry of the human brain on others. Of course, there would be some side effects or there would be some um, pushback genetically to your damn self. So now you have to take these pills. Now the pills calm you down, but how does that affect the output of your power going forward? Like, does that neutralize you? Does it damp you? Does it um, elevate your power sets? Like, ah, oh God, when Monet dealt with being infected by her brother and his implant and his um, uh, craving to feed on the life essence of mutants, it was kind of the same thing. Her and Sabretooth had this kind of love affair where he allowed her to siphon off energy from him because he has a healing factor. So just, I just, I really like that. And I want to see this character do more. (laughs) So now after that, uh, scrambling the brain and shit and taking those pills and stuff, 
Peter Wisdom was now the X-Force's leader. Uh, this happened in Domino and Danny Moonstar had quit. I'm not going to get into those two because they're two women of color who we'll probably get into later on in the next season or so of Carefree Black Nerve. Now, Pete Wisdom was an agent for the British government organization Black Air. This was the group that conducted research and investigation of supernatural phenomena. Uh, Pete is the director of MI13, the department of the UK's government that handles supernatural threats. So he's just like Colson from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., essentially. Now, Pete Wisdom taught them, them being the new X-Force, how to use their abilities. In Jesse's case, he could generate an electromagnetic pulse, electromagnetic pulse. I can, I know words, y'all. <laughs> In Jesse's case, he could e generate an electromagnetic pulse, which would disrupt machinery within a certain distance without having to be in a physical contact with the target. So as before, where it was a certain radius, maybe, you know, we settled on maybe seven or eight feet. Now it was a much wider area and you didn't have to touch the street light. You didn't have to touch the car or touch the cell phone. You could just fuck shit up from where you were, which is like, cool. I like seeing this evol evolution of a power without having to add in a secondary mutation. This is just the powers leveling up. Now, um, he could also disrupt neural responses from a distance, just like his brother. So, uh, I just, I really like, I like his brother, him and his brother. They went and fought a lot throughout the, their run and everything. And that is what it is. But I'd like to see them brought back and look a little differently. Like, just don't give me a bald head black man because you make every black character that's a man bald head. And don't just throw this generic hairstyle this little fade on I'm like give me something like switch some shit up make them you know there's pick up a black hair magazine and look at the fucking styles in there turn on the TV screen like look at TV shows look at YouTube like give me more like make them distinct looking so that 10 20 years down the line when someone is still writing this Bedlam story you can see the progression and you can see that he isn't just a faceless Ballhead black man, <laughs> how they like to do in these damn comics. I'm looking at you, Marvel and DC. God damn it. <laughs> now, um, he was able to disrupt neural responses from a distance, just like his brother. Now, Jesse remained with the team until their apparent deaths, where he used his powers to destroy an underground alien colony. Now, <laughs> after that, <coughs> a group of new pop star mutants, the Ecstatics, began calling themselves X-Force. Now, the Ecstatics were a group of mutant heroes whose main goal was to achieve fame and fortune. <coughs> Excuse me, which is something that I don't think you I can recall anyone ever doing in the Marvel Universe like as a team. I, I felt like when it comes to mutants and superheroes, it was always like save people first. Now, if I'm wrong or if there is some examples out there, please, of course, tweet me carefully blurred and let me know. But I can't recall a mutant team or a team of heroes that was out for fame. I think for a lot of times, like the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, fame came from being the superheroes. But I don't think I can remember anyone seeking it out. So there's that. Now, um, at the at this press conference for the Ecstatics. The original X-Force team crashed at press conference, and the only member that was missing was Jesse. So this motherfucker is dead. But months later, when a group called the Church of Humanity, 
which is um, a fictional anti-mutant Christian-based religious hate group. They crucified some of the mutants on the lawn of the X-Mansion. Jesse was found among them. Whew, y'all know I got feelings about this. Now, Archangel used his healing blood to revive Magma and Jubilee. But apparently, Jesse, among with several others, including the Hispanic mutant skin, Angelo Espinosa, and the African-American mutant sink, Everett Thomas, didn't have that same luck. It's just like... My issue comes in because, one, I have a bit fatigue. I've said that forever in a day. It just is what it is. But then when you do something like this and you kill off a lot of fucking mutants, like, yeah, I guess you want to get a handle on all the mutants that are out there because over the X-Men's history, there have been so many. Even, like, just little side characters that just popped up and gone away. So I get that. But then when you look at America and the world, and you see the populations uh, by race, and you see these minorities, why on earth would you go into a fictional universe, which so many people love, and it's supposed to kind of represent our universe, and kill off so many characters of color, and just disregard so many characters of color, to the point where now we're getting these Avengers movies, and we're getting these TV properties, and we have all of these white people on screen. Great, they have a job. They keep getting jobs. They keep getting booked. But when you kill off all these characters, Bedlam, Sink, Skin, these three characters, these three black males, or excuse me, two black males and uh, Hispanic black male could have been on screen somewhere. Like, it's, I, I mean, you can revive anybody you want. Like, when you're Marvel and DC and you have these properties, you can do whatever the hell you want. But the thing is, these stories are the blueprint to these movies and to these TV shows. Why in the fuck, like, Oh, God. It's just, it's, it's sad. It, it really is. And so, I don't know. It is what it is. Now, uh, moving on to kind of close out his history. As it turns out, Jesse did not die from his injuries. Okay. But there's no explanation. There's a gap from him being dead on the lawn, not being able to be revived, and then him showing up. But comics, y'all, whatever. During uh, talk of passing Proposition X, where mutants would have to register with the government, a great outbreak began. Mutants all over the world began rioting and Norman Osborn sent his Dark Avengers to go and silence them. Jesse was part of the riot, which included Erg, I don't know who that is, and Avalanche, and was halted by Ares. Now, when the mutants tried to fight back, Ares knocked back Erg into Jesse and he was knocked unconscious. And that's the end of Jesse. Like, what the fuck is that? God damn it. Again, I guess he's alive. Maybe he ended up on Utopia with the rest of the mutants. No one knows. It's like you're losing track of these mutants. I wonder if at Marvel they have, these are the top 50 mutants that are in rotation in all our books. And then they have like another 100 plus just off to the side where they're like, okay, so-and-so, you're writing this book. You have the choice of these 50 mutants to choose from who are not being used. Like, is that how it is? Or is it just, you write these characters and then, up oh, shit happens, so let's keep on going. Like, because we're getting good, you know, books and content and whatnot, but it's like, it could be so much better. You don't have to, I don't know. Uh, listeners, <laughs> what have you learned from this Betlam issue? Did you know about this character before? Please tweet me and let me know. If you learned something new, you wanna, you're excited to see him on screen in Deadpool 2, let me know. Tweet me, uh, Carefree Blurred, use the hashtag CBN pod. 
this is a character where I, I'm not going to go on a rant about he could have his own Netflix series or whatever else because he's going to appear in Deadpool 2. So I'll 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 leave that where it is. And I'm I'm excited that he's being played by Terry Crews, which we know throughout his um the last year or so he has been in probably not the best light in Hollywood because of coming forward about things that was assault that happened to him and whatnot. So it's good to see him in this movie working. I think Marvel would be a great place for him. I'm hoping that with the, I don't know, whatever's going on with Fox and Marvel, once all the rights are obtained, I'm hoping that Deadpool's area of the Fox mutant universe stays intact and just brought over because this is, like Deadpool 1 and 2 and Logan and mm, I guess First Class are like the best mutant movies that we have out there now. Like period, hands down. So um, with that being said, thank you all for listening. We're going to keep this conversation going. Please tweet me at CarefreeBlurred. Use the hashtag CBNPod. And also on Instagram at CarefreeBlackNerd. On all of the social medias is CarefreeBlackNerd. If you'd like. To follow me on Snapchat, Rain Coleman, one word, Rain Coleman, and check out these shenanigans from my nine to five and from being around Dallas and whatever else. Uh, jump into the DMs if you would like to be featured on the show. You have a book, you have, you're an artist, you're an illustrator, you're uh, one and the same. Listen, you're a writer, creator, or whatnot. Come on to the show. I would love to have you. Let's sit and chop it up and also kind of promote your stuff. Uh, email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use those hashtags. Check out the other shows in the Carefree Black Nerd feed. Uh, currently today, we are running a uh, My House uh, review show, which is the My House on Viceland. We're also doing wrapping up Riverdale, kind of, sort of. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Black Lightning ended, so be sure to check that out. Insecure is coming up. Also, the Carefree Black Nerd Cruel Summer Series is coming pretty soon, so be on the lookout for that. And thank you all for listening. I do appreciate it. Uh, if you feel so inclined to do so, please go over to iTunes and rate that five-star review. Give me a five-star rating. Write me a little review. Let me know what's up. Which shows do you like the best on the Carefree Black Nerd feed and on all other platforms, Player FM, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you can find your podcast, hit me up and let me know. And um, until next time, I mean, you know, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. I <laughs> I was the biggest like science fiction fan, biggest comic book fan, but there was only a few people that looked like us. Yeah. Then when the movies started coming out. It was like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, all these stuff. And I was loving all of them. I bought all of it, yeah. bought the stuff, X-Men, all that. Yeah, I was just waiting like, man. But then Black Panther. Let me tell you something. Sitting there with my wife and kids, I thought I would never see the day when you saw a black director, black cast, black soundtrack. Everybody. And, and